Hi, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Modern Maker Podcast. My name is Mike Montgomery, and I'm here with my fellow hosts, Binueta. Hey, how's it going? And Chris Salamone. How's everybody doing this week? Good. How you doing? Pretty good. I'm doing good. Nice. Awesome. Well, I guess we can just go ahead and hop into it. What are you guys working on this week? Well, uh, at the moment, I'm actually not really building anything. I'm actually in the project planning uh, stages of organizing my first sort of gallery show. So I've oh, been wow. working with a gallery here in Boston uh, to do an exhibition on design and making. Uh, so I'm still just figuring it out. It's going to be sometime this summer. And just, yeah, just sort of figuring out the event planning part, which is uh, a little bit stressful. Um, and then also just figuring out about curating and putting together a whole uh, show on design and starting to think about how I'm going to make it different from other uh, ex- exhibitions I've seen on design and installation art. That's awesome. Now, is this going to be an exhibition of just your pieces or is it going to be kind of a joint effort with other people as well? I think I'm going to include some other people as well. Nice. Uh, and I think it'll be uh, the part I'm excited about is that anytime you put something in the gallery, it seems like way more serious, incredible. <laughs> right. Um, and I think what we do in this sort of DIY kind of uh, or sort of, you know, YouTube world is often seen as more sort of like crafty and not as elevated art and design. So I'm excited to be working in that sort of context and sort of showing it to a more sort of, uh, I don't know, more of a high end audience. Um, and I'm still figuring out what exactly I'm going to do. Um, but I think what I'm excited about is that so much of what I do on YouTube is so function driven. This is going to give me a little bit more opportunity to make it more effect or sort of uh, installation art um, as opposed to, hey, here's another sofa. <laughs> right on. Now, are you going to be able to use like a lot of the stuff that you've built on your channel or is it – what are you going to think about? Yeah, I, I will definitely – there will definitely be some like demonstration DIY projects because – but it will be more on the focus of – sort of showing how design, an exhibition of how design can get transferred, right? I still am really fascinated by this idea of, particularly something like the bucket stool that I did, is that that stool has, that I designed has now been built all over the world, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I like my design is physically transferring on, it's been built on six different continents without me ever shipping it. So uh, I think in sort of a, a gallery setting, I can show not just the original thing that I built, but maybe like print out or have a screen that's showing a lot of the different versions of it that people have built around the world. And so that's where it can be sort of this, this exhibit that's showing how the internet is awesome for sort of sharing ideas, having other people collaborate, even when they're all spread out all over the world. Yes. It's almost like more than just being like a gallery of things that you've done. It's almost a gallery of your kind of philosophy. Right. Like it'd be like my, the things that I've done and the sort of videos would be like the first third and then other people's reactions and improvements and evolutions from that would be the sort of the rest. That's nice, awesome. Man, that sounds cool. Yeah. Chris, what do you got going on, man? So, um, I'm not building anything at the moment. I'm, I'm just kind of in the planning stages of a build that I'm hoping to do. So this one I'm, I'm working with a client on, which is what I used to do. And in a way it's kind of, uh, reminding me why, <laughs> I didn't always enjoy that the most. <laughs> yeah. And so so what it is, it's a record player. Oh, nice. And you guys can probably relate to this. So when you build things for YouTube, a lot of the times what makes for a good YouTube video doesn't necessarily make for like the most realistic 
everyday piece. Yeah. You know, things have to be kind of more exciting and you want to be able to just look at it and go, wow. And, you know, there might be a way to get more function out of it a different way, but it doesn't necessarily translate into the best video. So that's kind of the problem that I'm having right now. And one thing that I always do when people reach out to me and and they want me to build them something is I always say like, look, YouTube is my first priority or my videos are my first priority. So as long as you're, you know, willing to deal with an extra long lead time and it has to be a unique project and something that I'm excited to build and something that I'm happy about, then I'll take it. And so that's how it started off. So we we had some designs and they, they have some restrictions in their house that don't allow for me to like get totally crazy with it. But the design has like totally changed a hundred times to where we got it to where he was happy with it. But now there's like this one little hold up. So I don't know. That's kind of something to think about. Wait, um, are you actually building the record player or like a cabinet for it? So a cabinet for the record player. And it, it's going to actually be the record that you, the record player that you had used in that. Oh, other the video, Orbit? The, yeah, the Orbit by U-Turn. Yeah. So um, one of the ideas was to actually flush mount it within the cabinet itself. Oh, that's really and cool. And then what's causing the problems is they have like a very narrow area that it has to fit. And he wants it really tall so that he doesn't have to bend over to use it. Ooh, that's um, not your. That's not necessarily your lines. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm a very. But I, here's the thing. So then I worked really hard. I massaged it. I found a way to make it work. But now he wants it to be where it's like a flip up top, and so that means that you have to make the like storage area where you would put the record player a lot wider than what we originally had, which totally throws off the proportions. And I know to a lot of people, it's like little things. It's like, what's the difference? It's two inches wider, but. That's like the number one thing that I see when people send me their designs, the things that are usually wrong with them. It's just little small proportion things. And that's kind of like what makes the difference in like looking professional or looking amateur a lot of the times is those little tiny things. The details. And so now it's just I'm I'm trying to find a way to still make it work. I I've kind of come up with the solution that if it just doesn't work and, and it was just wasted time in the design, um, I might just go back to one of the early designs that we had, which I don't know what I'll do with the piece after it's finished. Maybe I'll just sell it and see if somebody wants to buy it that watches the video or something, but I'll figure it out. Well, and th- and that's that's the sort of the the silver lining on that sort of annoying part of dealing with a client is that you produce iterations that are often <laughs> often they don't pick the one that you like the most or that that would make the most sense, but you still produce those. You still have all those sketches and those things. Right. So, that's the nice thing about having sort of a combination of the two is you can still do the custom work, create a bunch of iterations that are completed, think about them, put them in the back of the the sketchbook or the drawer for you know a few months. And then all of a sudden when you need a project, you look through, oh, hey, I actually kind of thought this one had potential. And then. Yeah, know, for sure. I mean, it's hard. definitely if, if even nothing came from it, it's definitely been an exercise in design. But I, I think that something positive will still come from it. I know the guy really likes my stuff and he really wants me to build him something. So I think we'll find a way to get it done. Um, you know, that's just the challenge of it, I guess. That's, well, that's, that's how why it everyone doesn't goes. do it. That's how it always goes. Someone says, I really like your designs. I really like the way you work. I want you to make something for me, but let's do something that you would never totally do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's change everything. So this week, I'm going to be building a nice, modern, simple, really clean bed design, which I'm really excited about. It's going to have some integrated storage, which is really cool. Also today, the day that we're recording the podcast, not the day you're listening, I put out my egg table, or at least that's what I'm calling it. I'm not really sure. I think it was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of really 
really, really cool feedback on it from people that, you know, watch videos, people that make videos, people that I watch make videos. <laughs> I've been getting a lot of really cool comments, which I really appreciate. It's kind of cool to hear that kind of feedback. It's also really motivating. But yeah, I put that video out and it was a nice little change up. I got to switch up my editing style a little bit, kind of get a little bit creative with the edit, which was a lot of fun and something that I was really kind of needing a little bit. So um, I noticed, yeah, you had the whole corrupted card thing. Yeah. <laughs> so when you filmed it the first time, were you doing that kind of documentary style or was that uh, your yeah, I, second time? Okay. I was a little bit, but not nearly as much as I did the second time. Okay. Uh, so basically what happened is I got about two days worth of footage and everything went fine. But after I got done with my fourth day of working, for whatever reason, my SD card corrupted and I lost the second two days that I filmed on, which is a really crappy thing. But... Then again, it kind of turned out for the best in the long run. But yeah, so I remember whenever I was editing one night up to the point where I was, I kept wishing that I had more of the footage or I shot. I wish I shot more of the footage from the sawmill. So I really kept that in mind the second time I went and I made sure to get as much footage as I could, you know, without slowing them down too much and being in their way. So yeah, I thought it looked it was, good, man. I, I really liked actually the new style. I thought it was I mean, it's probably different because it's not as uh, instructional. But it's definitely like a cool change of pace to kind of switch back and forth with. Yeah, and the project itself really kind of lended itself to that. This one was a little more freeform, a little more sculptural than what I've ever done. Normally, I can just give dimensions and, you know, yeah. really good instructions. I can say, you know, cut this board to two feet and attach it to this board that's 16 inches. But with this, right. I can give some really rough dimensions, which I did in the video. But beyond that, it's really up to the user Plus, it was kind of just fun being able to mess around with a new product and yeah. new video style. No, that makes sense. I mean, especially for like when you're when you're sort of demoing a new tool or accessory like the like the turbo plane, uh, that really becomes what I mean. I bet you that's probably one of the search terms that will lead a lot of people to it. You oh, know, yeah. After you get mm -hmm. sort of your initial sort of boost from your subscriber base, definitely. Um, and I think that's that's you know the role of videos like that. It's not always step by step, which which frankly can get a little bit monotonous. Sometimes it's just cool to see what's a really visually dramatic transformation, yeah. and at the same time see a sort of not totally typical tool type or a different sort of accessory for a normal tool. Um, so I think that's I mean that's the part I sort of enjoyed about it is just being like I mean I've used the the turbo plane before, but I didn't use it for uh, such an organic shape. I used it for more sort of creating facets and planes. Um, so seeing that was pretty awesome. Right on. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, so this week we've got a really cool show topic idea, which was Ben's idea. So I'm going to hand it over to him and let him explain, I guess, what it is. <laughs> Take it away. Right. So we decided to talk about our process and how we sort of go from idea to finished product, or in our case, often finished video. And the reason why I like the word process, because I feel like it's more, it's a better way to actually share useful information than when you're just sort of saying, oh, this is what inspired me. So one of the most common questions I get is, what inspired you? And I often feel like that's so, it can be pretty random and un, unrelated and tangential. Uh, so people are often like, what inspired you? And I'll say something random. Oh, I was uh, hiking in... Uh, uh, Joshua Tree, and I saw this really cool thing, and, and they're like, okay, but that doesn't help them with their own sort of designs or, or making. So I like, uh, I'm a big believer in that I think a lot of ideas come from your hands, not just your head. And I think sharing your process of literally what are the things you do both when you have ideas and when you don't have ideas to make sure that you finish something. Um, so why don't Chris, uh, I know you have some strong thoughts on this subject. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, so I think. Um 
It's funny because talking about inspiration, I think there's almost this like pressure to say that everything came from this source of inspiration, but I don't mm-hmm. think that's always the case. I don't know if it is no, for you guys. No, not always, no. But yeah, a lot of times it comes from just like saying, okay, I need to do something. I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to start drawing out ideas. And you know, maybe you have nothing going into it and then your inspiration ends up coming from from work essentially, you know, from sitting there and just doing things and, you know, maybe the first 10 don't work and then finally you get some kind of something that has a spark or whatever. Um, that's always my first thought. I, I think that, yeah, inspiration just, I think Ben, you might've already said this, but yeah, there's almost this like magical quality to it that we want to pretend is real, but maybe isn't always real. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, after the inspirational part, I'm a very, detail oriented person so like no shocking <laughs> yeah. right. no, I'm, I'm up there just <laughs> winging Wing it. it oh no but i yeah i i usually will draw something like i don't know 10 times before i ever hey. build anything um you know i have all my dimensions and angles and everything down and i i that's one of the cool things for me about SketchUp actually is that you can almost virtually build through a project before you ever start cutting anything. So um, a lot of the obstacles that you're going to end up facing along the way, you can address those before you're out there wasting time. Um, so that's something that I spend a lot of time on. There, I think the only projects that are on my channel that I actually just kind of went out there and winged it was like the um, the modular, like simple wall organizer thing. Yeah. And that's because it was just such a simple idea where, you know, I didn't have to worry about a lot of pieces converging. But if it's anything with multiple pieces, like I've, my process is really just nailing down, you know, dotting every I, crossing every T to make sure that I'm ready to go when I get out there. Now, once I'm actually out there, I think that's one of the things about woodworking is that in a way you don't become better in terms of like avoiding mistakes or avoiding obstacles. It's just, you get better at dealing with those obstacles when you're, when you're faced with them. Just, I think because you have a a history and a a whole tool belt of techniques that you can use to overcome challenges that maybe you don't have when you first start off. Right. So Chris, wait, do you, do you, you sketch first, like on paper and then you 3d model it? You know what? I sometimes, but I would say for the most part, like if, if I had to say, give an example that's like pretty indicative of the way that I design it almost, it usually starts with SketchUp. Um, I find that I just work faster there. I can, I can get something that's closer to like what the finished product is going to be sketched out in there than I can by hand, you know, maybe for like very rough ideas or shapes, I might do it by hand, but if it's anything that's going to be close to a finished product, it, it almost always starts in SketchUp for me. Interesting. Mike, uh, what about you? Yeah, so I guess my process is almost the complete opposite of what Chris's is. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm not nearly as detail-oriented as he is, which I sometimes wish I am, but I'm more of the type of guy that just goes out to the shop and wings it. But then again, I mean, before I ever go out to the shop and just start building, any project I have, any project idea I've had has been in my head at least for a few weeks or a month. And what I'm doing is, I guess, kind of doing what Chris is when he's either drawing things or working in SketchUp, I'm coming up with different iterations of the same idea and trying to change, you know, what would it look like if I maybe made this a little taller, a little shorter, or if I, you know, took out this detail or added a different detail. I'm still coming up with those different iterations and trying to problem solve as much as I can, but I'm just doing that in my head. I think it just kind of flows a little bit more naturally for my personality type. Um, Plus, I'm just not very good at sketching things, so... I guess that's one of those things where you just got to play your strengths. And I'm a, I'm a pretty strong mental 
visualizer, so I really try and use that to my best of my ability. But that also really has its downsides too. I'm uh, so whenever, like what Chris is saying, whenever he's basically modeling a piece of furniture in SketchUp, he can really go through the build. He can figure out every single step and figure out where he might run into problems. Where just doing that in my head, sometimes I skip over or I miss some of those problems. Which that's one of the things I enjoy about woodworking, and one of the things that really stresses me out about woodworking. It just depends on you know what the problem and what kind of solution I'm able to come up with. I think it's one of the most awesome things whenever you come up with an une- when you come up with a really cool solution to an unexpected problem. But it's also one of those things that when you're trying to put out a video every week week or two, can really bog you down and make things a lot more stressful than they might be if you took the time to really plan things out and make sure you you had all your T's crossed and your I's dotted. Yeah, and I think that's something that you probably will just improve on over time. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things, if I knew how to use SketchUp at least efficiently, then I would do it a lot more. Um, it's just something that I haven't taken the time to do and something that, yeah, like you said, I probably should. Um, and maybe I'll just make that one of my things to learn in 2017. So wait, so Mike, you do do 3D modeling or uh, you don't no, right now? Not, not, no, I, I really don't. I've, I've worked on it. I've worked with SketchUp for maybe a total of about eight hours on a couple projects, just kind of figuring out kind of what it was and what its capabilities were. But no, I never really dove headfirst and tried yeah, to figure it, it out. It's, uh, I, I would still recommend, I mean, uh, something more like an Autodesk one over that. They're a okay. little bit more complex, but got gotcha. you. Uh, the, I, I sort of lost interest in SketchUp when Google sold it because they just it stopped really being improved upon. Mm-hmm. And if you look at like SketchUp now versus like five or ten years ago, it it hasn't improved as rapidly as some other software. Okay, and uh, Autodesk recently made uh, their a lot of their software free for amateur use so oh. you can get like really high powered stuff and i'm in this sort of problem right now of, of transitioning over to fusion uh since i spent so much time when i was in architecture school using form z which is actually like really crappy uh <laughs> but it's where i've spent like thousands of hours when i was a student so mm-hmm. i'm sort of like addicted to it and slowly trying to wean off to something that has more of a future in it, especially for digital fabrication and stuff like that Awesome. Yeah, I took down a note of that. I'll check it out because it's it's something I should be doing. And plus, it's got to be a good thing to be able to add some nice diagrams to my written articles. That way people can kind of understand everything a little bit better. So I'll definitely look into that for sure. Yeah, you got to get those 3D IKEA sketches in there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You got to make it as foolproof as possible. Yeah. Ben, what about you? So for me, it's like I normally start with uh, my process actually involves thinking of the process of making. Okay. Um, so I'm a big uh, – I find technique and uh, the way of making to be the, the sort of interesting thing that drives a lot of the, the design ideas. So for example, mm. uh, once I sort of had done some initial experiments with concrete, I wasn't so much thinking about, okay, how do I make a concrete table? How do I make a concrete nightstand? I was more thinking of – what were the annoying things that I dealt with in building forms and demolding concrete and the first things? And then how do I come up with a cool technique around that process that drove me crazy? Interesting. Um, yeah. And that's where I sort of first started experimenting with Legos and concrete, right? Mm-hmm. So then once I, I sort of do an experiment to see that I can actually use this thing to inform this thing, oh, now I have my own little cool technique. And then from there, I don't just get uh, you know, one design idea for one project, I can get like 10, right? So I can do uh, a nightstand, a side table, uh, a backsplash, and or like, you know, a salt cellar, 
all from that one technique. And that's why you'll often see in my videos, I try to space them out a little bit so I don't overwhelm people. But you'll see like a burst of like three or four copper projects in a row because I was just figuring out a way of what's a good way I can put copper together without soldering it because I don't like soldering. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I get everything a mess. I, uh, I got like flux all over the place and the joints often uh, – as soon as I get one, then I overheat it and then the other one sort of melts and uh, I haven't really sort of developed that, that physical dexterity well. And I know that if I'm having that sort of struggle with it, other people trying it for the first time, there's a good chance they will too unless they're just you know absolute crafty ninjas and <laughs> get everything right the first time. Right. So I'll normally start with like uh, a, you know, what is some way to actually make the making part a little bit more novel, either more convenient or more cool. And then from there, once I have that sort of formula, then I'll sort of say, okay, then I'll think about applications. So I find it from, uh, you know, when I try to design something just for an application, I, it gets really derivative. Uh, so if I say, oh, I want to make a chair video this week, and then I have to think, well, how do I make a chair that's different? I've seen so many. And then if I go on Pinterest or Google image search and look at chair pictures, I'm going to be over-influenced by outcomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if I sort of experiment by saying, oh, I could zip tie, I could drill holes in plywood and zip tie it together, then I could be like, if I start with that technique, then I can get ideas for all sorts of projects that are probably going to be a little bit more original than if I tried, looked at a chair and then went and made a chair. Right. So, so it's almost it's almost like letting the the technique itself determine the project, which is kind of a it's a neat way of looking at things. Right. And then I and then it also creates sort of through lines, right? So I'll have a lot of projects where there's like plywood stacked because I really like the sort of. St- I always think the stacked plywood is cool. It looks like it reminds me of like sort of a geological stratification of like rock formations. Um, so I also know that it's much easier to stack things and glue and screw them together than to, you know, actually do real joinery. So I'll, I'll develop or a technique like that. And then, then I can apply that to different applications. Like, oh, what would that, what would that technique look like for a headboard or what would it look like for a chair or a table or a desk or all these things? And then go on from there. Right on. That's awesome. It's funny listening to the the way that the three of us answered that question, it almost illustrates the fact that asking that question, if you're looking for tips or for advice, it's a really bad question. It's really more like, you know, if you're just interested in knowing what somebody's inspiration is, then it's a fine question. But it, it really depends so much on the way that an individual works and the way that an individual thinks that like, you can't really adapt somebody else's process as your own. Well, you can't develop like, processes for when you're stuck right like uh and i think when people ask you you know when i meet people at sort of meetups that do similar things as us and they'll often be like well where how do you get all these ideas and you know and i always say well i i get them because i'm always building stuff the more stuff i build the more experiments i do the more sort of ideas i get yeah so if i experiment with a new material so uh you know the, the i think there are ways i think inspiration is sort of like hoping for a home run and like process is like manufacturing runs, right? It's like we're doing all the little, exactly right. Doing all the little things, progressing the runners and stuff like that to, (laughs) to still try to, you know, uh, win the game. And I think like, if you, you know, if you're like, I have an opportunity, I have a client that wants a chair, but I don't have a great idea for it. Rather than trying to force your, you know, only think, look for inspiration around that thing, go out and do some experiments, Right go out and experiment with like 10 ways to connect metal to wood. 
if even if one of those experiments you you come up with one cool little trick that works for your particular skill set and the tools you have available often you can develop a whole project off of that that isn't in the magical inspiration way it's like in a very like oh well because i did experience with things i had i made a discovery that's like readily available to me and it's going to be uh, uh you know ready to actually materialize this into the finished product um so i think process is about not just what you do in like a linear fashion to you know go from a, a task to a completed project but it's also what do you do when you get stuck to try to generate new ideas and stuff um, and for me, it's it's doing a lot of really simple sort of design and making experiments. Yeah, and I think that's that approach is really makes it to where all of the things, all the techniques or trips, t- <clears throat> tricks that you're coming up with, it makes them it makes them really practical because the way you're actually coming up with them are the same way you would be using them in real life. So instead of just coming up with neat ideas of uh, hypothetical ways of attaching boards, you're coming up with real ways that you know work. So when you actually go to put them into practice. That they work. <laughs> right. And I think like making one thing helps you make the other thing, even if it's not directly connected. Like, so for example, I'm guessing now that you spent how many hours power carving? Quite a few. Probably, probably about eight, if I had to guess. Right. So you did a completely power carved project out of like a massive piece of wood. So it might be a, like a little bit of a waste before you do another huge monolithic carving project. Yeah. Probably. But you might do like a, like a bench where you just carve a little bit of a recess into this. You might mix it into a more rectilinear or more typical project next. Right. Um, yeah, you, you kind of find out what the tool is capable of, and then you can figure out ways to incorporate it in your day-to-day. Yeah, I think that's also why if you look at if you could look at most designers' pieces over time, you would really see an evolution in their style more than like these crazy jumps. Awesome. Well, I think, Chris, you have a hypothetical for our... Uh, <laughs> our, our newest uh, segment. Yeah, Let's I'm a it. fan. I our like newest it. <laughs> segment. All right, so hypothetically speaking, Let's say that you can become great at one creative medium. So say like woodworking, music, painting, anything, anything that you want. But in order to do it, you have to give up all others. Would you do it? And if so, what medium? So you guys can ask me questions if you if you want some follow ups. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think I'd change too much. Uh, like I, I'm kind of happy to what the way things are going. And also like, I don't think, I don't think abilities work that way. Like I like that question because people often think that, uh, uh, Oh, I don't have that talent or I don't have that creativity. Uh, you know, I, I, I love this, uh, this quote that uh, uh, Conor McGregor, the, the UFC fighter, always says, where he says, like, talent doesn't really exist. Uh, it's just like you develop talent. You manufacture talent. Now, we might not all learn or have the same aptitude as other people or learn as quickly or have the same hand-eye coordination or sense of detail. But, uh, no, for me, it's really about – because I don't think of these things as, like, sort of magical skills that you're born with. I think of these as strategic investments of my time to make little creative discoveries and then also hone sort of physical dexterity and a sense of craft uh, that allow me to sort of implement them better. Huh. So uh, for when I when I hear that question, I think of it as like, no, I, I like where I've invested my time. I mean, there's been a lot of misadventures and things <laughs> that haven't uh, worked out well and resulting holes in the walls and a few minor scars. But uh, for the most part, uh, I can't imagine sort of switching out skill sets without losing specific experiences. 
Right on. Well, I guess my I'm going to say no as well, but it's for a slightly different reason, so stick with me. <laughs> so my whole dream kind of growing up was to to be a musician, really. I've, I've been playing drums since I was about 13. I've picked up guitar and bass and stuff like that along the way. Um, and this is probably something to kind of save for our whole like origin story episode, but the whole way I got into woodworking was through music. I was I actually have a degree in music production, and while I was... Whenever I was going to school for that was when I really started getting into woodworking. I built snare drum, followed that up with a drum kit, and, you know, a bunch of pedal boards and other things music-related. And it wasn't until a while of building instruments that I actually started building furniture. So so it's kind of hard to just say that I would give up music to do woodworking or I would give up woodworking to do music because they're so interlocked, which is kind of what Ben was getting at is... You know, everything is influenced by what you've done in the past. So I wouldn't have been woodworking if I didn't ever play music. And, you know, if I chose to just do music, I never would have gotten to experience all this really awesome, you know, woodworking and making things and doing things with your hands. So it's kind of, it's, I guess it's, you know, kind of hard to express, but the way things are just intertwined in that way. It's man, right, you it's, can't, it's kind you of can't, hard to express, but no, no, you it's can't, hard to express. No, I get it. Like you can't, you can't. Like all those threads of exploration in your life are interconnected, mm-hmm, and you right. can't just pull one without unraveling the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, but if I had to choose, you know, if I had, if I had no choice, life or death, I would definitely be a musician. I'd be touring the world, and it would be amazing. <laughs> You'd just be doing like the the Tommy Lee upside down drumming <laughs> yeah. right. on a boat. Just, yeah, exactly. All right, am I up? I'm up. All right. All right, so I probably would answer this pretty similarly to the way that Mike answered it. Um, I probably wouldn't do it just because I feel like I have too much fun trying different things, and I would hate to give up the possibility of some kind of hobby that I might not even get into in, you know, for ten, until 10 years from now, but just giving up the possibility of doing that, I w- I'm not interested in that. Um, but if I were to do it, I would... The practical side of me says music because I think that's probably where you could like make the most money and have the, you know, be the most important culturally and all those things. Um, but if money wasn't an issue or anything, I would choose drawing. Like I've always had, I've always been very envious of people who could draw really well. And I feel like drawing, yes, is a talent that you can develop, but it always amazes me that like you'll see you know, a kid that's 12 years old that can draw so great already. And it's almost like you were kind of just born with this right. talent. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's, it's just always, I would really love to be able to draw really well. Me, me too. I was not that kid. No, me neither. I wanted <laughs> uh, to be though. No, I, I think that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting though. But like, I used to feel that way because uh, when I went to architecture school, like there are so many kids there that just could freehand draw like amazingly well. But I also feel like that as like a as a as a, as a skill set or a developed talent can also be a little bit of a crutch. Um, and like my my drawing is pretty chicken scratchy, um, but I think it makes me sort of not spend too much time on a drawing and immediately just try to get just enough down on paper as like a reference point and sort of a to do list, uh, which then I think makes me a little bit more prolific. Because I'm not yeah, sitting there I, trying to solve everything on paper. I'm really just trying to get what are the next 10 steps that I'm going to take physically to start producing the first prototype or a piece. Yeah, I think in some ways that is kind of true that almost the, your weaknesses in a way can kind of develop your strengths. So 
I, I was always a decent drawer, but I think, yeah, had I been better at it, I probably would not have thrown myself as into 3D modeling. And I found that 3D modeling like really works with the way that my brain works. And so I think it's really helped me to become a better designer. And even to go away from design, like one thing that I've always felt about the way that I learned, like in my life, I've always been kind of a bad reader. Like, I don't know, I was just always like slower than everybody at reading and my comprehension was lower. And I think because of that, I learned to be smart in other ways. And I learned to like really be able to read my teachers and kind of, I don't know, get what they were looking for through other things that were kind of subconscious. And I think that really helped me to develop that intelligence. Well, I think that's, that's interesting is sort of listening to yourself and sort of figuring out where, what, what sort of techniques you're sort of naturally gravitate to. Even the way uh, I used to teach uh, 3D modeling classes and you'd watch different students wouldn't take the same modeling assignment, but do it different ways. Some people would start with lines and other people would build components and then assemble the components like digital Legos where other people were like drawing a complete 2D elevation and then extruding parts off from there. And people's just brains for how they go from idea to assembling something, even in a computer with the same set of digital tools, have totally different approaches. But I think like the, the thing I like about this hypothetical and I think would be the sort of takeaway uh, for for people is, again, I hear so many people say things in both the comments, oh, I wish I would have spent more time learning this or learning this. Well, you spent your time doing something and just trust that if you start whatever is the new thing you're interested in, it will be inevitable that your previous experiences sort of inform that, which is great because that's what's going to keep you from being like every other beginner in this sort of new thing that you're just learning. Yeah, and that was a – I kind of want to circle back to a point that Chris made just a, a couple minutes ago was the idea that just because woodworking is what I'm into most now, who knows what I might be into 10, 20, 30, 40, who knows, 50 years from now. Who knows what kind of technology is even going to be available? And you know, I could very well just be into woodworking forever, which would be awesome, but who knows what else might come along. Plus in you 50 know? years, the robots are going to be so much better at it anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's the point, right? Everything's just going to be – 3D printed anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I, you know, it's actually one last point, unless you guys have anything, but um, it's interesting that these two separate topics, the topic of inspiration and then this hypothetical question, or process, sorry, not inspiration, they both kind of evolved into the same idea that our brains just all work so differently. And I guess the brain is just such a complex thing that we know so little about, if you really think about it that I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> brain My brain no, no. Yeah. I, I think it just yeah. kind of comes down to playing your strengths. And, and right? I would say stay busy, right? Like yeah, don't sure. sit there, stare at the, the blank sketchbook. Even Actually, if you can't figure out the next step for the thing you want to do, mm -hmm. take some other step, right? Keep your, Get keep your hands busy, keep experimenting, keep developing the skills and you'll just have more ammunition for getting over those little uh, designer block moments. Um, but Mike's sort of talking about saying he doesn't want to do woodworking in 50 years made me think of a potential future topic where we make sort of predictions on the future of making. And Ooh, that could be cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that. What we're doing now. Yeah. All right. So I think we pretty much got that wrapped up. Should we move on to what we're obsessed with? Yeah. But y'all are going to have to go first. Yeah, not me. I, I, I'm going to have to think about it for a second. I'm not prepared. Ben? <laughs> All right. So right now I'm really interested in like dual function furniture. So 
I just uh, launched uh, about a week ago or last week, depending on when people are listening to this, uh, the, the sort of zigzag sofa. So it's sort of a sofa that uh, goes from a seat into like a, uh, a counter space. And, you know, I have a big uh, – I, I live in like an apartment building. Uh, and this was a big loft space. And I always thought that, oh, you know, for sofas, I kind of hate when the sort of back is so, so exposed. So I felt like I might as well turn it. And people always set like a credenza or sort of like a, a skinny table behind it. Or a right. sofa, yeah, table. sofa table. Yeah. So I said, well, can't we just develop that into one piece? And uh, the the response has been been pretty great. It was a pretty easy project to build. Yeah, that thing, was, yeah, that thing was really yeah, sweet. Yeah, it, it was a sweet build. Yeah, it was surprisingly awesome. comfortable. Um but uh, the the thing that I, that I sort of avoided a lot of dual purpose furniture in the past because most of the examples that I have seen are there's so many of those ones where you have to like those tiny home examples where you have to like lift up the bed and it's like a Murphy bed that then turns into a table, mm-hmm. which is all really cool. But then you're like, okay, then there's like crumbs everywhere <laughs> and you come home and you're exhausted or like five drinks in and then you have to like put away the dishes right, in, order, yeah. in order to flop in the bed, which sounds terrible. So, But it's a good point still. Uh, I think the thing I'm currently thinking of are these sort of these these ways to add more function but without adding – unnecessary complexity of like moving parts and things like that nice well this week i think my obsession has been over leather uh like i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast i'm planning on building another bed and on this one i want to i want the headboard to have just a little bit of padding behind it nothing to make it look really you know tufted or puffy but i want a little bit of padding behind it and then some leather upholstery to it just so it's all really nice to the touch and it's you know leather is something that i've been wanting to work with for a really long time and i think this is a great opportunity to do it and Ben, yeah. I, I know that you used leather on that sofa, which I think it came together really well. I like how it all just folded like a Christmas present, yeah. which was really, really cool. So, yeah, that's what I've been Googling, trying to figure out what I need, what kind of tools I need, what kind of materials to use, and, you know, just how to leather, do it. Leather's been really fun. Uh, we experimented first because we got a whole bunch of scraps from a, a local shoe company uh-huh. that they were throwing out. and. Uh, it's not the cheapest material. Like uh, the the hides that we got from for the the sofa were from Tandy Leather, and they're you know they're like a couple hundred bucks for like a whole cowhide. Wow. Okay. But it's such it's such an awesome material to work with, and for me, it's like it's opening up a whole realm of possibilities for soft goods because I always hated like the idea of like having to hem things and break out a sewing machine. So uh, you can just like punch holes in it, and it's strong and. You can cut it with an exacto knife, and yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and so like this week, I've just kind of been, you know, I've I've had leather on my mind, so I've been coming up with all these ways of incorporating leather into projects where there's woodworking as well. I don't really know how my audience is gonna, I don't know, react to a project with just all leather. So I'm trying to incorporate it, kind of like woodworking is still there. It's all cool. Leather's fine, you know. Don't don't think that I'm just. <laughs> diving off the deep end and just devoting myself to using leather or anything but you know it's just really cool it's got you know it 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 can flex it can fold it can do all these things that wood can't so it really opens up a lot of doors and new possibilities when it comes to projects so i'm really looking forward to it so for me um i i don't know if i'd call this an obsession but I've been watching the show Black Mirror lately. Have have you guys ever seen that? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Yeah. No? I've seen a few. You've seen it? Yeah. Okay, so I, I've been kind of picking and choosing episodes, and so I watched one. Hang on. Uh, you got to other... tell us what it is. Sorry. I, some people I, I might know. At least I okay, know. Okay, so, so it's basically 
Each episode is a standalone episode, so they're all just little self-contained stories. So this one that I watched the other day was called Nosedive. Um, I think it's the first one in, in season three. So it's pretty much about these people who they live in a, a future where your status is very um, dependent on like what your social status is online. So like imagine if like Facebook was your whole life where people could basically rate you. Yeah, in every transaction like that you have with them. So, you know, you'd go to McDonald's or whatever and you were nice to the cashier and they would give you like a five-star rating for that interaction that you had. And so you would have this score attached to you. Say you were like, you know, a 3.8 or whatever was like your social score. And so that would determine like how high you are in society, basically. Like how high you're ranked. And so... It's really interesting. I think everybody who watches it will get a different, will have a different interpretation of it. For me personally, it really just made me think of YouTube and how, not that you have to like be this fake person. Like in, in the episode, everybody's this like fake person and nobody has outlashes. And it's basically just like all of society policing the rest of society. Huh. But um, it just made me think about like, yeah, you really do like, worry about these numbers a lot when you're on YouTube and, and, you know, you're always thinking like, oh, what can I do to bump this number up and to bump that number up? And so I think, yeah, everybody would take something different away from it, but it, it really, I thought it had like a lot of parallels to, to that part of my life. And it was, it just made me think a lot after watching it. Right on. Yeah. What's it, it, what's it called again? Black Mirror. Oh, okay, cool. It's supposed to be like the, it's like in reference to like your phone, right? Which is sort of like this dark, shiny mirrored thing that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting show. I I saw that episode. It was uh, like the premise of was was I think it was like a nice critique of of where sort of society is and stuff. Yeah, but like they kind of like hammered home that present that that one concept for a long time. But definitely, yeah, it definitely was like a, a an interesting premise. Yeah, it's the type of show that like even if you see episodes that like are not the most entertaining thing or the greatest thing, it, it'll make you think. Yeah. At least right on. I'm going to check that out. Um, well, I guess if that's about it, then we probably could go ahead and wrap this episode up. Um, does anyone have anything else or no? We're good. All right. Well, uh, I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So where do you find everybody? <laughs> yeah, you can. I'm going to say the same thing as last week. Uh, just Google modern builds, you know, whether that's YouTube or Google, you know, it's it's all Google. So, yeah, I should be up there at the top of the results. Ben, what about you? Uh, for me, uh, just go to homemade-modern.com and all the links are there or just uh, Google Ben Ueda. And for me, just think the word four eyes and I'll pop up. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I'll just conjure him up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and something else that you can do to really help out the show is, one, subscribe, whether that's in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, we will be there. Um, and that really just lets you be notified when we post new stuff. But what we, really, what we would really appreciate, especially now that the show is sort of in its infancy, is going to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and, and give us a rating, especially if it's a five-star rating, whether that's a five-star rating with good feedback constructive criticism, things you think we could do better. Um, That really helps us kind of climb the podcast charts and helps us really get recognized, especially since we are a new podcast. Another good thing is if you do have any cool show topic ideas, you can go to our website, www.modernmakerpodcast.com. And we've got a contact form where you can, you know, tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you might want to 
you know, what you might want to see, because we do want to make this a show that you guys enjoy. Um, and also, if you've got any questions for us, you can leave those there, or you can even attach a voice memo from your phone. Or if, if we if they send voice messages, uh-huh. that means we can actually play them on the show. Yeah, exactly. If they have questions, right? Whether it's see? questions or you know suggestions, whatever they want to do. Um, I haven't figured it all out, but it will be figured out by the time this podcast is up. So yeah, just go to our contact page, and you can attach a voice message if you want us to play it back. So yeah, thank you guys for watching. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week on the Modern Maker Podcast. See Later. Later.